There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios uh, in Sydney. You are listening to the all-new Pip Show, Season 5, Episode 14. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Speaking of which, I am a professional advisor. Sometimes people have called me that. Uh, James Whelan, Investment Manager of VFS Group. Paul Colgan is back from Davos. Uh, he went took a cab to another wrong place. We're hoping he's going to be here by next week again. Uh, this episode is being recorded in Sydney. It's 10.08 in the morning. I have not checked in on the market yet because I'm doing this. It's the 21st of October, 2022 AD. Today's guest is ANZ Senior Economist, long-term friend of the show. Um, we fell in love with her when she got on and just blew us away uh, it was a couple of years ago, Adelaide Timbrell. Um, and we always love to, to pick her brain because she's one of the smartest people in uh, in finance, if not just in all things ever. Uh, I've given you a good rap, Adelaide. I uh, hope you earn it. Yeah, pressure's on. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no, problem. no problem at all. Yeah, really good of you to come on. Now, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that's going on uh, in uh, Australian financial markets, as there always a lot of stuff going on. RBA slowed itself down a little bit with that 25. The minutes came out saying why they, they slowed the things down, why they slowed things down. Um, because they wanted to sort of extend it a bit longer. So, look, today in the show we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about those minutes. We're going to talk about discretionary spending, rate expectations, household finances, confidence, and also with the budget coming in next week if we've got time to get to that too. So, look, I, re- I want to try and keep it to twenty minutes. So, Adelaide, the budget uh, that the RBA minutes. What did you take out of it, uh, and what should people be taking out of it? Was there much relevance to the common man in the street? Look, I think um, what we saw in the minutes was that it was a real debate between 25 basis points and 50 basis points for the last hike. Um, It did come out as 25 basis points in the end. But I think what it's showing us is that the Reserve Bank has decided through its October rate hike that we're no longer in this really rapid mode of going, oh, we've got to get out of emergency stimulus. We've got to get things back on track as quickly as possible. Now I think they're in more of a refinement mode where it's like, we know we've got to keep doing these rate hikes. We know people are still spending. We know inflation, even inflation that's locally sourced within Australia is still too high, but we don't want to keep going at that really rapid pace. And so what that means is that next time we see a rate hike, which we think will happen in November, we'll probably see another 25 even if the CPI data that comes out uh, next week on the is actually really strong. Yeah, that's uh, I'm seeing predictions of that as well. Where are you expecting CPI to sit? We're expecting to see 7% year on year God. for uh, headline inflation. So that's the inflation you hear on the news. Yeah. And then 5.6% for the trimmed mean inflation, which is more uh, relevant for the Reserve Bank. But, I mean, these are really big numbers. Big and numbers. the Reserve Bank's thinking similarly. Like, they think that, 
you know, inflation will peak at seven and three quarters at the end of the year. Treasury's thinking on very similar terms, um, but they're still going to be going on those 25 basis point hikes. Another thing that they're saying, which I thought was really interesting, is that they want to keep public attention on the rate hikes. They want households to keep feeling the pain of these little squeezes on the household budget every month or every couple of months so that they'll be thinking more about slowing down spending. I think this is a management around inflation expectations. So rather than doing a big one and going, oh, people will think that's it and and kind of stop worrying about it and assuming inflation will come back down, they may accidentally then contribute to longer-term inflation by spending more money thinking that the pain is over. Yeah, the the Batuta did a, a very funny story the other day with Governor Lowe standing standing in woolies yelling at people for having too much too much junk in their baskets as they were checking out of the shops that's the, the <laughs> message the message I, I'm gonna I have to point out the irony that is involved in the RBA that under delivered the communication with regards to rate hikes now overcompensating with regards to actual rate rate hikes um, absolutely I think you know when we look at the Reserve Bank you know they did start their rate hikes a lot later than um, places like New Zealand and other countries around the world, there was tightening of monetary policy before that. They took a, away all of their unconventional measures, but they've gone from really jawboning that, you know, oh, we're not going to raise rates till 2024. And now they're saying, actually, we want to be raising rates every, pretty much every month so that people are thinking about it yep. and slowing things down. It's a very, very big change in approach. I, I can assure you, if I wasn't talking about this every week, I would absolutely be thinking about this anyway. And I don't know anyone else that isn't thinking about it. So how much thinking about it do we have to do before it actually converts to decreasing in spending? And what are you seeing in that context with regards to what people are spending money on that they probably shouldn't need to or don't need to, i.e. the discretionary side of the world? Absolutely. So we're seeing a huge boom in discretionary spending growth at the moment. People, come on. (laughs) There's this myth that inflation and higher interest rates are eroding savings and really um, creating a pullback in consumer spending. But that's not actually in the data. The data is showing us nothing really big is happening on a pullback of consumption. We're seeing in our ANZ spending data that people are really not moving their spending backwards at all. And we dig into the discretionary side of things to see, oh, well, maybe people are spending more on groceries and spending less on the fun stuff. But that's not even the case. In fact, one of my favourite subcategories of spending is travel agent spending because it's something where as it's going up, you know that that means that person's actually going to plan to spend five, ten times more once they hit that big overseas trip because you're not going into a travel agent for a cheap and cheerful weekend away. Uh, Nobody's going in there to kind of book a camping spot somewhere. You're kind of going in there for the big stuff. And I think if the average person was really worried about their financial condition, we wouldn't see travel agent spending actually back at pre-COVID levels. We would see a pullback in furniture spending as well because that's kind of the first thing that you go, oh, maybe I shouldn't buy a new couch right now. Things might be getting a bit tight. 
tight and we're seeing absolutely nothing, no slowdown there. And of course, dining and takeaway has been on a huge boom all through the year in both um, nominal terms, so the dollars that we're spending, but also volume terms, so the amount that we're eating out. And um, I think anyone who's tried to get a spot at a restaurant in the major capitals in Australia will probably know that instinctively as well. So we're yeah. still going out for dinner. We're still spending money. The slowdown will happen. You know, um, interest rates are, are going to make it such that people went from spending 5% on average of their post-tax income on interest payments to around 11%. It's going to be a slowdown. But wow. we think it's a next year problem. Yeah, I, I have a tendency to agree with you and I still stand by the fact, especially with retail stuff, that it'll be Christmas is sort of the last big hurrah. Kids, this is this is these are, these are the last big gifts that you're going to get for a while because we're going to have to tighten everything up. Um, I'm thinking about you know everyone standing in those in those packed bars and packed sitting in those packed restaurants, and the only thing they're talking about is how much those rate rises are hurting their spending. Get out of the restaurants, people! Otherwise, they're going to keep on raising, raising rates on us. Now, so household finances. You talked about how much um, people are spending on interest. That's great. What about confidence in the economy? I know that you wanted to touch on that. Yeah, so look, people are in for that shock of going from 5 to 11, and that's tough to peak to, so that hasn't quite fully happened yet. And what we're seeing is that confidence among the household sector is extremely low. We're really seeing confidence prints that are looking quite similar to that first month or so of COVID where we were hoarding toilet paper, JobKeeper didn't exist yet, and the forecasters were saying that unemployment would reach double digits because, you know, without some of that government intervention, that would have actually happened. So, um, you know, we're seeing very similar confidence levels now, even though unemployment is at a 50-year low. Even though there's so much job switching that um, household uh, like average earnings per hour are double the wage price index. So, you know, inflation was 6% year on year to the middle of this year and um, average hours, average earnings per hour were up 5%. So we're actually only down, you know, that one kind of percentage point gap in terms of our real buying power. You know, no one's expecting to lose their job and not be able to find another one. Um, We've seen a lot of people get capital gains from a really hot housing market and even the housing um, reductions that we're expecting in prices will only shave off 2021. They're certainly not shaving off any capital gains growth before that and yet people are really, really upset. So it's interesting that spending is really solid but consumer confidence is down. And it's the same in businesses. When you ask a business about the economy, they are really pessimistic. But when you ask a business about what they're doing, how their demand is going, they're actually more optimistic. So people know, I think, that demand is solid within their own industry or within their own market share in business. But if they think about that abstract concept of the economy, we're really not feeling confident at all. That's extraordinary. So just these, these mixed messages that are coming out from different parts of the parts of the market. It is thinking about. I mean, that was an off the off the cuff joke, but yes, the packed restaurants are people talking about how bad the economy is. <laughs> the it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, there's this real mismatch in expectations, and I think if you are looking at consumer confidence or business confidence measures as a leading indicator of actual spending. It's really weakly correlated right now. I mean, it was never really strongly correlated before, but it's never been less useful as a leading indicator. In fact, private capital expenditure estimates are incredibly strong. People are looking forward at inflation, at a slowdown in the economy, and they're still saying, you know what, it's still actually going to be worth me investing and expanding at least a little bit. 
Yeah, and I, that, that, that's not such a bad thing. I mean, that needs to keep on going, and this is sort of the difficult game that the RBA has got to try and got to try and navigate of talking it talking it down, getting it down, getting people to spend less, while without breaking everything in half, which is entirely possible that it could do. And I mean, I, I it, it's it's a job that I don't want to have. I know that you could do it in a heartbeat, but it's a job that I I just wouldn't even want to touch it with a barge pole, Adelaide. Um, and we, we've often talked about. Uh, sort of half jokingly about what you would do if you were head of the RBA one day. Um, how would you actually be? You know, this unplanned question. How would you be? How would you be navigating twenty twenty three? I think it's a really tough situation right now. You've <laughs> got to remember that the Reserve Bank, their responsibility is total inflation at two to three percent. Hmm. But what they have control over is only locally sourced inflation. You can't make petrol cheap by the tiny country of Australia, 25 million of us, 7 billion people in the world, by making us spend less money. You're just not going to, you're not going to shift those commodity prices in a meaningful way. So we've got authority over only locally sourced inflation, but responsibility over all that kind of the average of all types of inflation. So what the Reserve Bank has to look at now a lot more than they have before is what's that global volatility going to be doing and how much do we have to offset that high inflation now with lower household demand within Australia? Right now, both measures are too high, but depending on where global inflation is going to be, we may not have to work quite as hard to get demand in Australia down. Um, I think, too, the fixed rates are a really big issue that create, uh, they're going to create a step down. The penny's going to drop for a lot of people between, you know, April and November next year. A lot of people are living in a monetary policy situation of 2020. If you're on a fixed rate of 2%, you're living in 2020 when it comes to monetary policy, which means you're spending as if the Reserve Bank is encouraging you to spend, even though right now as they're moving those rates up, they're actually trying to encourage you to save. So we're going to see a lot of that concentrated into a 2023 slowdown. And I think the Reserve Bank's really scared of overcooking the results. I think a 3.6% cash rate, which is the ANZ forecast for the peak mid next year is most likely to be appropriate. But if households keep spending money, they may be forced to go a little bit higher than that. If they're forced to go higher than that, the risk of recession gets a lot higher as well. But just like in other countries, you know, a recession's actually not going to be as damaging as long-term inflation. If your groceries are going up 20% a year, 10% a year, 8% a year, you know, you probably wouldn't have minded, you know, a few people being out of a job for six months uh, in order to make, you know, so that everyone actually isn't going to be poor forever, essentially. That's cool. No, I, I, and I do understand that. Um, all right, now finally, or almost finally, budget next week. Uh, anything predicted out of that or how, things that we may be needing to be looking at? Uh, look, I think that the budget this time around, um, Chalmers has said it's going to be boring. He's saying the windfall of the last financial year budget won't be repeated. Although, you know, we don't think that the budget deficit for this current financial year will be all that much worse than last year. So last year it was supposed to be like a hundred billion dollars deficit. It ended up being about thirty billion dollars. Oh, sorry, maybe eighty to thirty. Anyway, it was it was supposed to be terrible and ended up being kind of okay. Um, we look forward and go, oh, there's a lot of expense pressures happening, health, NDIS, 
defense, aged care and interest payments on all of that debt are going to keep those budgets in deficit going forward. It's really just a question of how much. I think the new government will be really careful to put anything really big and new in there, um, especially things like infrastructure, because we're already crowding out private sector investment on that side of things. Parental leave's not going to be uh, inflationary. Childcare is not going to be inflationary either. Even though it puts more money in people's pockets, it also puts more people in the labour market, which means there's less of a labour shortage and there's more ability to actually create some stability in terms of that labour supply and demand mix. Good work. Okay. Well, um, with nothing else to go through, I'll just keep it nice and quick and clean like this unless you want to get into something else, Adelaide. No, no. I mean, let's not. Oh, actually, there is one thing I do want to say just really quickly. If you're working in finance like you and I are, James, or even (laughs) if you're listening to this podcast, you've got to remember you're probably going to be more financially literate and thinking about your interest rates a lot more than the average person in Australia. So if you're thinking, oh, I know my fixed rate's going to roll off, I'm going to save a lot of money before then, surely everyone's doing that and we'll see a spending slowdown. That's really not going to be the case. For most people, they're going to have to be forced to stop spending that money in order to get that done because we just don't have a high level of financial literacy in Australia. And that's something that does, I think, really profoundly impact the transmission of monetary policy. It's not about maths. It's not about being rational. It's about if people can spend and have the savings, they'll just spend and spend and spend until something actually gets really bad. That's that's what I've been doing. So, you know, the, 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 level, the level of my financial literacy isn't exactly the, the, the benchmark that everyone should be uh, resting upon either, but that's why I have people like you on. Adelaide, I'm going to wrap it up now. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, unless there's something else you wanted to mention? No, I'm all good. I've said my little piece. Thank you, you so much for having me. <laughs> not a problem at all. You can find us on iTunes at The Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter as well, Facebook. Check out Wheeland Capital. Uh, Google that. It's where I put all of this. I'm going to put some notes on. Yeah, provided you actually send me some notes, Adelaide. I don't know if you've got the, the ANZ note. Um, I'll put it on the website as well and link uh, link it up to you as well. Uh, individually, I'm on James Wheeland 42 is my Twitter handle. And Adelaide, I think you're just Adelaide underscore Timbrell, aren't you? Just so, Adelaide Timbrell, one word. Yeah. Yep, Adelaide Timbrell, one word. Uh, the show is produced by Chad Powers, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much, Adelaide, for joining us. Thank you. See ya. See you guys. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.